This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Great show for you guys today. Deontay Lee is going to be joining us a little bit later for our game plan of the week. Always excited to chat with Deontay. Before we do that, though, I am pleased to welcome my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. I'm loving the new uh, like countdown beats that oh, drop great. the YouTube stuff. Puts me oh, in I the know. mood I, right away. I think someone in the YouTube comments was like, I, I, what, 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 can you link that? I want to I drop a rap over that. And I think they were dead <laughs> serious. So way to go. Whoever found that, <laughs> uh, Kent or Michael, like, whoever felt that, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm feeling it as well. It really gets me in the mood for this. It sets the mood. That's exactly what it does. And it sets the mood for a very fun slate of week four games. We have a lot to dig into today. We're going to talk about some issues with the Broncos offense a little bit later as we go under the hood. We're going to talk about a game that I think maybe only you and I care about, but other people should care about yes. a little bit yes. later on this show again we're gonna dig into the game plan with Deontay I want to start though with a game that we had circled immediately when we do this show every single week we meet on Tuesday to pick the stuff that we're going to talk about so we have like 72 hours to prepare for this show and the first thing out of all of our mouths was that we wanted to talk about Eagles Jags because we had to not that yeah. because it was some oddity or because oh we love talking about the Jaguars on this show and the Eagles are doing a couple fun things it's because this might be the coolest matchup of the entire week and probably a matchup between two of the best five or six teams in the NFL so far, which if I had told you that a month ago, I have no idea how people would have reacted. Yeah, this is not the morbid curiosity game or the, you know, oh, what this is the sicko watch that only guys that are like, that are like all 22 Twitter care about. It's like, no, this is awesome. There are some really cool players, some really cool stuff happening on both teams. I've. Both sides of the ball, too. It's not just, oh, look at the quarterbacks or, oh, look at the Eagles offensive line or, oh, look at the, you know, the Jags defensive line. It's all of it. It's all of it. It's all these matchups and it's going to be really, really fun. And I'm, I'm like stoked. I'm legit stoked to watch this game. Like this game is I'm not even going Red Zone channel on my main TV. This game is for sure. Just getting the full full main TV uh, treatment. The Jags offense has been really good. The Eagles offense is interesting. We'll dig into that side of the ball in a second. But I wanted to start with the Eagles offense against the Jags defense because these have been two of the most surprising units in the entire league. Not the Eagles, we thought Mm. they could be good. But the way that Jalen Hurts has played and the the ceiling that they've hit is incredible. And then you combine that with the Jags defense that's kind of blown us away with the way that they've played, how they've deployed some of these guys. What about this matchup? Eagles offense, Jags defense jumps out to you first. Oh, the lines. <laughs> I want to see yeah. this Eagles offensive line battle against this Jags defensive line, especially on passing downs. I want to see the, those games that the Jags defense does. How are they able to – Are they get, they're not going to really confuse this Eagles offensive line, but they might get them once or twice. Do they create any edginess? Do they force Jalen Hurts to – Break contain or uh, break the pocket to his left as opposed to his right. You know, let him get out of there. This Jags defensive line is. We talk. We joke about the. You know, they're they're the goblins. They're the orcs like that. But it's they also they push the pocket. They have so much speed to power, which is a good way to go against this Eagles offensive line. That's a bunch of maulers and athletic maulers. They they're the best tackle pairing in probably the whole NFL. And so you have those two. And now it's like okay, so who's gonna break first? How like what is going to pop? I think on this matchup, and I, I want to see if 
the game script doesn't go for the Eagles, how it's gone for these first three weeks. You know, how does it go when Jalen Hurts actually has to drop back and pass? He's only had 12 passing attempts this entire year when the Eagles have been trailing because they haven't been trailing at all. So I want to see if when they're not able to lean into that RPO heavy game plan, run the ball RPO, and then a couple go balls when they actually have to drop back over and over and over what could happen. And that's if they can keep the game script close. When I went back and watched the Eagles offense from the Washington game last week, even though they played really well in the first half, even though they won that game convincingly, I weirdly came away less impressed with the Eagles offense than I thought I would be. It cuts both ways. I don't even want to say that. I was, I didn't, it wasn't as smooth and as dominant from a structure standpoint as I thought it was going to be given the final score. That's what I would say. I came away more impressed with the players, less impressed with them having a schematic advantage play in and play out. Because you go back and you watch that game, the biggest plays of that game were go balls to Devontae Smith and AJ Brown. Those are the biggest pass plays that the Eagles hit in that game. There were three of them just deep down the field where those guys made plays. So that's, the players are very good. And they're capable right. of doing that, but those are just low percentage plays. In the second half, when they stalled a little bit, they threw a go ball to Devontae Smith on the right sideline, and then he tried to hit A.J. Brown on almost the exact same look that he hit Devontae Smith in double coverage on, which probably isn't the right throw no. in that situation. Either time, the crosser was actually open. A.J. Brown doesn't go up and get that ball, and those fall incomplete. So th- when you have players and receiving talent that the Eagles have, you're going to make those every once in a while. But I want to see things that are a little bit easier over the course of a two, three game stretch than it was against Washington last week. Those guys had to make some spectacular plays for them to move the ball in chunks through the air. What does it look like against the Jaguars defense that I think is better in the secondary? I think is better pretty much all the way across the board than that Washington defense is. And just more overall disciplined. Like the yes. Eagles caught him just so many, a couple of times. Like actually Washington's defense did some, I was actually a little surprised. I was like, hey, that, there's some nice plays they're doing. I mean, the defensive line is good, but they had somewhere there's no one within seven yards of Devontae Smith, like on just like a hitch route. And it's like, come on, somebody get near this guy. It's not like they did anything crazy. So I want to see, like you said, a, a defense that's a lot more disciplined, has a lot, you know, I would say a lot more juice, a lot more juice throughout the whole team. Uh, as far as the whole defensive unit, not just up front. But yeah, I want to see the same thing. That is why I've had some hesitations with Hertz as quarterback is that he thrives off go balls and scrambling. And that's fine. You can win that way. But as you play better talent, it becomes a lot harder. So I do want to see it. They repeat calls a lot, which is I'm talking out both sides of my mouth with this. Sometimes that is good. Sometimes I get mad. Uh, Kellen Moore is the perfect example where they have a great play and they never come back to it. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, just keep spamming it until they stop it the eagles sometimes it's like okay change it up a little bit like uh, you can't just keep running that rpo over and over you can't against the vikings apparently but not washington they had a couple times guy didn't get picked boom the guy gets you know the guy goes in the flat pascal gets whacked for one yard loss or one yard gain whatever it was or a team that tackles better than washington did so dallas goddard's not running you know weaving in and out of everybody for a 20 yard screen pass so maybe just that's what it is i want to see what they look like when they get maybe punched in the mouth and stuff isn't going for them and they don't have a 17-point lead into halftime or two, you know three-score lead into halftime where it's more of a one-score game. And that's what this Jags defense is going to do. They're going to punch you in the mouth. When you have Mike Caldwell, their defensive coordinator, comes over from Tampa. And Tampa has – they play a ton of zone coverage. Even when they're blitzing, mm-hmm. they play a ton of zone coverage. The Jags on third down have forced the issue. They are not blitzing as much as a Tampa Bay team might, but they're playing a ton of man coverage on third down. They played 58% man coverage on third down this year, which I believe is the third highest rate in the entire league. They've played eight snaps of two man 
on 33 third down plays. They have the most two-man snaps on third down in the entire league, and they have the fewest third down plays in the entire league. So that percentage is way, way higher than anybody. And that is a we are going to punch you in the mouth sort of approach on defense. We're going to challenge you. And they've done a couple different things, and they do it from all these wonky different looks, and they disguise Mm -hmm. things really well. They had one in the game last week where it was a single high look. They bailed out into two-man, and they had two guys mugged up, and they dropped both edge guys. They're doing so much crazy stuff. And that sort of defense that is hard to identify but is also really aggressive, I want to see what the Eagles do against that sort of unit because that's what the Jags have been through the first three games. And it's going to come down to also like if, if, if two man, you know, like what you're saying, those guys that creates the hero throws from the quarterback. And we're going to talk about a little later uh, with another matchup with Deontay. But it's what the two man is that you have to throw sail routes, which are the hard routes to throw because it's out way out to the field. Those are the corner routes from the slot or you have to throw benders over the middle or the QB scrambles. So I think there's going to be a lot if they run, lean into this is the Jags defensive line has to be disciplined. They can run these games, but they can't give up the uh, the up and over or up and down scramble lanes for Jalen Hurts. That's what dev- is devastating. That's where Jalen Hurts is devastating. Always going to his right. He only has one one attempt this entire season going to his left outside the pocket, which I think is hilarious. And that's what Todd Bowles did with the Bucks last year in that playoff game, was they kept flushing him out to the left. And he was like, oh, shoot, now I have to scramble for two yards as opposed to maybe hitting a chunk play down the field. So curious how much they lean into that. And maybe they change up the look on a guy that sometimes struggles with post-snap reads. I didn't even think about that. The defensive coordinator for the Jaguars was on the Bucks staff last year and gave them yes. all those problems in that playoff game, which is something to take into account. The two-man plan against a scrambling quarterback, obviously much more difficult. So that's something to think about. The play yeah. I was thinking about with the two-man, by the way, one of the most fun parts of watching the Jaguars defense is anybody can be lined up up front in any single position on any single play. So yeah. on, it was a third and 10. Trayvon Walker's over the right guard. Arden Key is standing up over the center. Devin Lloyd is lined up in the C-gap outside of the tackle. Josh Allen is outside of him. And Alulakan is lined up as the edge on the right side. They only brought four guys. Yeah. <laughs> they only brought they four guys. And it, they're all different angles, all different looks. They are having a really good time conceiving of what that defense is playing and play out. Now imagine them. you got Arden Key or Trevon Walker going against Jason Kelsey, where they have the length yeah. advantage. So if they maybe if they create one-on-ones, it's like Jason Kelly's a, Kelsey's a hell of a player. He's playing great. But that's not a matchup that they want. They want those guys, long guys against our tackles, not against the interior guys. And switching to the other side of the ball, I think that the Jags have done such a good job, and we've talked about this over the first few weeks, about taking advantage of defenses that are undisciplined. Yep. Eye discipline, motion, slide routes, just all of these different moving parts. And when I watched the Eagles and the defense that they played over the last few weeks, they did some wonky stuff against the Vikings, uh, especially late in the game. And they did yeah. some stuff to Justin Jefferson. <laughs> they just threw fastballs at Kirk Cousins. They're like, hey, make a play, bud. Yeah, that was, <laughs> they were daring him to make a play. But when I went back and watched yeah. the Washington game. I was like, I wonder if they did anything crazy. And I wonder if they've kind of been outliers in any one area defensively this season. The answer is really no. You know, they're playing a lot of zone coverage. They're not blitzing a lot. But what's really stuck out is that they're just playing zone coverage extremely well. There were a couple different plays in that game where Washington, good play design, trying to take advantage of communication and switching assignments mid-play with with mesh plays, with different Mm -hmm. switch releases, with different motions, and none of it mattered. There was one play specifically where they motioned Curtis Samuel out from the number one receiver spot. 
which left Logan Thomas at the number one spot. And James Bradbury bumped down, and it was cover three. And so because it's a one-by-three, James Bradbury has Logan Thomas essentially one-on-one. But you have a leverage advantage there. It's a guy on a tight end. You're switching who the number one receiver is. That throw eventually goes to Logan Thomas between the hash marks. James Bradbury, who is the outside corner, breaks up that play between the hash marks. And they just that that kind of stuff and passing things off, that has shown up over and over again with this team. And it kind of feels like the ultimate expression of what Jonathan Gannon wants to be last year, where we're bringing four. It's not that crazy, but everything looks beautiful on the back end in terms of how things are moving, how we're passing everything off, and how the different pieces are fitting together. And that defense is going to make it really, really hard for anybody they play against just because they're not really beating themselves very often. It's kind of funny. They're This Jaguars offense under Doug Peterson, this Eagles defense under Gannon are like kind of like similar in a way that they don't do anything crazy, but they do it really well. Yeah. And it's kind of, that's fun. That's a, that's a fun matchup. Doug Pearson dresses up a little bit. That's why he can run the same stuff over and over, but he dresses up so well. And I, I agree with you when you run the same coverage over and over. And I've talked about this with the Legion of boom. They also have hall of fame players litter everywhere, but is that when you run the same coverage over and over, you know what your weaknesses are. You know, okay, well, they're going to run curl flat. I'm just making something up, but they're going to run this coverage or run the run this pass concept. Okay, so we have to pass it off like this. And then they get reps at it. You know what your weaknesses are. So you know how to hide those weaknesses. So that's the benefit when you kind of run more basic vanilla coverage, I think is a good way to put it. And I don't mean that as a, a knock. I mean that more as they're just letting their guys play fast. Um, I'm really excited to watch this because I'm, I'm glad you brought up like, how Washington was trying to run the mesh concept. And we talked about this on the pre-show was that's what Jaguars are really killing teams with is a lot of horizontal, a lot of crossers. Yeah. And Trevor is able to hang in there and get to one Trevor Lawrence. I'm trying to do full name. I don't know Trevor, <laughs> but when I talk about quarterbacks, for some reason, I always say their first name. For some, yeah, I don't because know you're in is. the club. You're the quarterback yeah, club. I, right? I understand that there's a certain brotherhood that goes along with it. I got, got the sash, right? You know, so it's, but they, when you run these double crossers, mesh is double crossers and an intermediate route behind. Trevor is willing to hang in there and get to the, the second level route or throw in the alert if you have an alert tagged on it. The Eagles had a great example against Washington that you brought up where they passed it off like it was nothing. And Wentz was trying to get to the late crosser and he got sacked for like one of the nine times he got sacked. And, but that's, that's why who blinks first when, cause the Eagles, I mean, sorry, the Jaguars are going to run this play. They've run it all three weeks so far under Doug Peterson. They've run it at least four or five times each week. So they're going to run it. I don't think they will say, no, we're going to just because of one rep, we're not going to run it. So who kind of like, who botches first? Mm -hmm. Does Trevor hang in the pocket and find the throw? Or does the coverage so good that the pass rush gets home? Trevor is so good at getting rid of the ball. Like, I think everyone's has cited the stat, like how fast he was getting rid of the ball last week. That is what his superpower is. He is a great manipulating in the pocket, getting around the rush, finding a throwing lane and getting rid of the ball. Who blinks? You got a defense that is going to try and, play perfect coverage, pass everything off, let the pass rush get home, or is the concept going to be okay enough and Trevor's going to find the throw? I think it's going to be a re- – that's what's so fun about this matchup. And also, it's Trevor Lawrence is – he's I think he's sixth in uh, EPA per dropback overall. He's second on first and second down, only behind Lamar so far this year. They're staying ahead the chains consistently. The run game is nice and sound, and the passing game really just kind of gets those chunks and gets those easy plays. It's, it's a fun offense versus a fun defense. This is a simple way to put it, but we always talk about the marriage and the relationship between rush and coverage. And when Mm -hmm. you watch the Eagles right now, it's a perfect relationship. 
what they did against Washington, there's a ton of sacks, but some of them are linemen instantly winning. Some of them are Javon Hargrave just kicking ass. Yeah. Others are the picture is changing just enough. They run a lot of zone coverage, but it's all different sorts of zone coverages. It's exactly what this type of defense is supposed to do to you. It's like, is that quarters? Is it six? Is it squeeze, two? Is it three? Squeeze, is it, It's squeeze. just that little bit yep. of hesitation. And yep. because of that, you have a pass rush that can crush the pocket and get home because it's full of dudes. Brandon Graham had some splash plays last week. Fletcher Cox jumped in the time machine once or twice last week. You combine that with a Hargrave and a Redick and a Sweat, and that's what this is. And you know the Jags' the offense has done a fantastic job so far of limiting sacks. There's been a decent amount of pressure, but Trevor does a great job of not taking sacks. What does that look like this week against the team again that really marries their rush and their coverage together and creates pressure through both of those avenues, not just with having a dominant front four. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Like it's gonna be I don't think Trevor's gonna have a lot of times where he's getting rid of the ball in two point two seconds, two point four seconds. I think it's gonna be where he's getting to the throws late. Kind of in the second half against the Chargers, he started having to do this and he got there. So now you're facing a, a defense that has been just crushing poor quarterback play in three weeks. Goff was okay. Cousins was not okay, and Wentz was not okay, but now you're playing a guy that's playing very confidently and is finding these throws over and over on top of the RPO stuff that they do as well. Mm -hmm. And the screen game is really good from the Jags too, which also hinders pass rush. And you got a great naked game that they've shown so far. So you got a lot of – they have answers to what the Eagles defense wants to do, but the Eagles defense is still playing well. Last thing before we get away from this game. Revenge games are back. Yeah. time for the Wick scale. People keep asking if I'm back. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Oh, That's great. I've been missing that. We should have done it last week. There were a lot of options. We just totally forgot. Doug yeah. Peterson going back and playing the Eagles. All right. Zero out of five wicks. How many wicks does Doug Peterson going back to play Philadelphia get? Doug Peterson is is going with four wicks. Four wicks back in Philly. That's a lot. That that's I mean, a pretty. I mean, guy won a Super Bowl there. It felt right. like, ah, eh, do we? Is it just time for everyone to move on? You think there's that much animus with the Doug Peterson Philly reunion here? It's the same GM. <laughs> it's, I think it's the same GM, but I think it's why it's not five wicks or four and a half wicks. Is that he goes? Oh well, you know, Jason Kelsey's still there. There's a couple guys I really like there. Graham's still there. So kind of, you know. Uh, uh, Lane Johnson's still there. Some some of his guys are still there, so that's why it's not full five. But it's four. It's four. It's those Russians that John Wick used to work for that he's now coming after. I think that there was a lot of the blame for the Carson Wentz deterioration that was laid on Doug Peterson there near at the end. And when we've seen what Carson Wentz has looked like <laughs> in both of the spots he just went to, and then what do you, I mean, just there are those moments, right? Like Carson yep. Wentz kind of is what he is at this point. And for Doug to be doing this with Trevor and to be turning this team around with such gusto over the first three weeks, I, I think there's probably a decent part of him that wants to be like, listen, I was not the problem. This is the, yeah. I was not the issue here, and you guys are going to find out exactly how not the issue I was here on Sunday. Right, and it's I, I'm curious how the crowd's going to treat him too. You know, is it is it going to be full ECW? Like, you know, is it going to be some some mutants going on uh, after him? Like that's I... that's why I'm. I feel like that's gonna be it's gonna be a good reception. The man won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. That's what, that's what I mean. Are they gonna is are they gonna temper back a little bit? You know, it's not gonna be that kind of 
you know, antsy Eagles crowd that it usually is. They, maybe there's a soft heart. Maybe they're not throwing a snowball at Santa in this Well, game. that's the problem is that you can – all the thinking and all the emotions and empathy you could ascribe to pretty much any other crowd you can't do in Philadelphia. No. So no. It, it could be all over the map. It's full-blown ECW. That's what I'm thinking. It, they're going to start chanting for tables. Uh, I think that's what's going to happen after the first quarter. All right. Next game we want to dig into here at the top, Bills at Ravens. So many things to think about with this, starting with all of the guys that could or could not play in this game. The Bills were so hurt last week. They still almost managed to knock off Miami on the road. It sounds like Jordan Poyer, Christian Benford, Ed Oliver, guys that either missed last week or got dinged up in the middle of last week's game. Isn't it amazing that Christian Benford is now an important player for the I love, I love Buffalo NFL Bills. like this. And I love it's that. the guy, sixth round. Just pick, wait till Reggie in, Gilliam's like, out. Wait till like, Reggie Gilliam's I'm out. Missing yeah. Christian Benford, but they did when they when they had to play with yes. Ingram last week and Benford was out. You noticed that. So getting yes. those guys back in the back end will be absolutely huge against a Ravens team that has thrown the ball pretty damn well with Lamar Jackson. Ravens, some things to consider here. Michael Pierce is out. Ronnie Stanley may be back. He did yeah. practice. On Thursday this week, which is different than it has been over the last couple of weeks. So just a few things to take into account with who is going to be on the field. I want to start with this matchup talking about the quarterbacks. Surprise, surprise. But over the first three weeks of the season, not who's been best or who's played quarterback at the highest level or who leads the league in this sort of stat. Yeah, I think that two, through three weeks... No two quarterbacks have been more important to their teams, more valuable to what their teams are than the Bills and the Ravens. And I think yep. it's for a few different reasons. But I wonder if you think that's fair. I Oh, I absolutely think it's fair. Uh, I think these two should be leaving the MVP conversation right now just because they are the teams. Like they are the entire offense. They have nothing else that they can lean on. And of course, I'm going to say Mahomes out of the side of my mouth is the third. But I think these two, though, is just the usage for both of them is just insane. And it's for a good reason. I mean, they are the best players on the field. It feels like a high school offense in a way where they're like, hey, just give the ball to the best player. Get out of the way. Everybody else just don't fuck it up for us. That's kind of how it feels a little bit with these teams. Yeah. And I think with Buffalo, it's that they can't block anybody. That that's their yeah. biggest issue right now is yeah. that up front they're just not very good. You know, we thought that was going to be an issue coming into the game or into the season and there are going to be moments in games where Josh Allen completely mitigates that where he's able to kind of pull something out of his ass. He's able to not turn pressures into sacks. He does it so so well. And I think from a team building perspective it's why you can skimp there a little yeah. bit. The thing about this Ravens team though is that they don't have the guys to necessarily take advantage of that problem. No. Miami doesn't have a superstar edge rusher, but there isn't even a guy on this Ravens front that's as dangerous as a Melvin Ingram was for the Dolphins last week. So I think it's twofold here. If you're the Buffalo Bills and you can't block this Ravens team if they're not blitzing, we have a serious problem. And if you're the Ravens and you can't beat up this Bills offensive line, we have a serious problem. So what that yep. matchup looks like, I think, is going to be important not only for how Sunday plays out, but for what the prospect for these teams looks like moving forward. The Ravens went out and signed JPP this week because they need that. something on the edge, and that is a concern. They just need bodies. It's not yeah. like they're like, oh, we're, they're, they just need guys that they can play. They, this team just – I mean, the Dolphins game is the prime example. They just get gassed because they have nobody else. 
They have nobody else they can lean onto, not even just a role player. The guys that were supposed to be role players are starting. Like, you know, it's just how it kind of works with them. And I, I made this joke on a different show, but I got to come back to it. It's like, it, it's the Bills run game is, it feels like the LeBron cat first Cavs team where it like Mo Williams Larry is Hughes. the run game. Yeah, that's the run game. There, it's just to give LeBron a break. Like that's all it is. It's there. It's not to like score a bucket. It's like no. It's just like let's just get to second and nine, and and that's that's just exactly what they have to go with. But I think it's just this Bills offensive line. It, it's it is horrid. Like it, it, as far as run game wise, and then the Dolphins were heating them up, and it was remarkable that Josh Allen. It speaks to how incredible Josh Allen is playing right now. That he's able to make these plays, and you know we talk about oh wow, this Bills offensive line can't block anyone. They can't pick up. The, uh, can't pick up a blitz but really it's speaking to josh allen making so many things happen that you yeah. didn't even notice it that much he's turning negative plays into super positive plays to explosives to first downs so yeah it's one of those that how long could that sustain that is really hard place to to be there's a reason that why i said high school offense not nfl offense because usually it's sit back in the pocket and you can dice it up okay we'll run the ball for four or five six yards okay make it easy on us they're facing second and ten second and twelves third and 14s and Josh Allen's making all these plays that's hard to do like Josh Allen's incredible but that is so hard to do for 17 games it it really is so this is gonna be a good test for these lines both lines that we're talking about and whether they can find a way to make it easier on Josh Allen because he can do the hard stuff one way to make it easier potentially going after the cornerback on this team that is not Marcus Peters or Marlon Humphrey last week Essentially split by half. I was going back and watching the game. That's kind of what I thought I picked up on. Jalen Armour Davis played a lot early in the game. He had a rough, rough time on that side. And then Brandon Stevens played a little bit later in the game. I have to assume Stevens is going to get more of that run based on the way that last week went for Armour Davis. But when you're looking at that secondary, that's the weak link. That, that, yep. that other cornerback spot. And I think it's essentially solely on the right side. I think Peters has played on the left side almost exclusively since he's been back. So whoever that right corner is, are the Bills going to pick on that guy consistently? Because that's what the Patriots were able to do, and that's a lot of how they moved the ball through the air last week. I can't believe you just said that. That's what the Patriots were able to do in the yeah, passing game. Yeah, that's true. Game. Listen, <laughs> Devontae Parker looks like Randy Moss for stretches of last week. So like what's Stephon Diggs going to do? Quick. Yeah, I, no, I mean, I, that's, I, you're circling that guy in red pen I think there's based gonna be on a how lot last those- week went. The, a lot of those quick out RPOs that we yeah. see when they guys, cause he's going to be petrified playing off. And so you're going to see, I bet you they pepper four or five of those, just get those quick gimmies to him. On the other side of the ball, Lamar Jackson has had to carry pretty much as much or more of the load than Josh right. Allen has based on how this offense is structured. Where have they failed him in your mind based on the way this thing is constructed? And where has he been able to kind of transcend their weaknesses the most? I think. God, they run so many hitch routes. It, it's you got Rashad Bateman. They use him as like a deep ball guy, and it's like this guy's like a crafty route runner, and they're using him not on any crafty routes. And you, when you, they do use him that way, it's like there it is. That that's why he's good at it. Um, I think they are letting him be the pocket passer, and they're using the under center stuff. But the under center runs got to get better if you're going to live this way and do the play action stuff, and you got to balance it out a little bit. I think they did lean into the gun run with Lamar reading stuff really well last week. So that was cool to see sprinkled in, but they got to, they got to find mesh, you know, mesh it together a little bit better. And I think they're still trying to figure that out, but it's Greg Roman. So that's, you always got to remember that. It's like, as excited I'm getting with Lamar and what he's looking like as a passer, it's like, oh man, can they adjust to all this? I'm, I'm very, it's an interesting matchup as far as stylistically. It's, it's so cool because it's the Bills are, have been a what, nickel or dime, 95% of their snaps, only five yeah. snaps of base defense. 
on first and second down against a team that runs the most heavy personnel and the most 21 and 12 in the entire NFL. They've only been in 11 personnel. We're going to talk about the stat again later. 10% of the time this entire year against a team that wants to be a nickel every snap. So that's a very fun stylistic uh, stylistic matchup. And there's another stylistic wrinkle. We talked on Sunday's show. Lamar has carved teams when they have brought pressure this year. He has yes. been by far the most efficient quarterback in the league when blitzed this season. Guess who doesn't blitz? At the all. Bills. The Bills do not blitz. If they know this, if they know you're one of the guys, there's a small table of quarterbacks that you just can't blitz anymore. And the Bills are totally fine just not blitzing them. It's not like the Cardinals are like, yeah, we're still going to bring 40% of the time. We're going to bring extra guys. We don't really give a shit. That's just how we live. The Bills are willing to just say, we don't do this. We are not going to blitz you if you think we think you can hurt us that way. And that's what the Ravens have done. So the Ravens are going to have to try to create explosive plays and create plays through the air against seven guys in coverage this entire game. And the seven guys in coverage for the Bills this week, even without Micah Hyde, are going to be better than the seven guys in coverage last week for Buffalo. Yeah, absolutely. The the thing I'm I'm so curious about is this Bills, when you have a really awesome, matchy kind of defense, everything is done on uh, basically timing. You know, they have to cover for about three Mississippis. Lamar is so willing right now to hang in the pocket and let over routes keep running and hit him late. Like he's throwing those little sidearm passes to Mark Andrews late. That's going to be really cool. It's like, how can you get to four Mississippi's Bills defense? Like that's, I think that's what they're going to be trying to attack. It's like, we're going to try and do more extended runny routes. Runny. That's not, uh, not a term I ever want to use again. Uh, <laughs> routes on the move, uh, I think is much better than static routes because if you go static routes, which the Ravens have been doing in this, in their passing game, while they'll they hit you, you I guess they'll crush you. They yeah. go, okay, have fun with that three-yard gain on a it's hard exactly pass. It's exactly what they want. It's exactly yep. what they want. You're playing into yep. their hands if that's what you start doing. And so you got to almost want, be funky. They want some of that, yeah. more that long, longer developing stuff. Having Ronnie Stanley back in the lineup could be a big yes. one with that. And we'll see what happens. If, if he yeah. plays, is he on the sort of pitch count that David Bakhtiari was on last week? But it sounds like Patrick McCarry might not play. So while the Packers have this surplus of offensive linemen and they can work him back slowly. Do the Ravens have the same luxury? And I think that's a real question at this point. I am very excited to watch what this matchup looks like between these two guys because they are playing at such an extremely high level. And again, what is being put on their plates is so outlandish compared to virtually every other quarterback in the NFL right now. We're seeing two guys kind of at the peak of their powers going at it. And that's must-see television. Yeah, it's different than what Brady and, and even Mahomes have done the last few years, which is so pass heavy and yes. then just dicing guys up from the pocket. These guys are just doing everything. It's so different. So, so different than what you usually see. Even from Lamar's MVP year, this is different because he's passing more and being more the quarterback on top of all the run games. They had the highest it, neutral situation pass rate in the league over the first two weeks, I think. It's, it's a so very, crazy. They're living in a different world than they were yeah. when he won the MVP. And he's still affecting the game at the same level. And I think that's what's so impressive about it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's two awesome players that playing at the peak of their powers going against each other. It's fun. I think it's a really important test for the Ravens defense because they're still figuring it out. It's the th- fourth game now of a new defensive coordinator. They've got some new pieces on the back end. I think we're going to learn a lot about what they profile as moving forward in this game. If it, They're testing his patience. This game is going to be – we saw in the Dolphins game when he kind of – you know, kind of was feeling antsy a little bit. He started throwing some fire and it backfired against them. So let's see if he can just take a couple punches and just go, nope, nope, we're not going to change our game plan because that's what jo- it's so hard against these good quarterbacks to not get antsy. Make them be patient. 
It's like that's what both defenses have to be. The Bills have proven it. You're you're in, you're out that they can do this. Can the Ravens do that with maybe not the best type of matchup that they want? All right, we're going to take a quick break before we get to the matchup of the week with Deontay breaking down the Chiefs offense against the Bucks defense. So, Frank, here's the plan. All right, it's time to bring in our buddy Deontay Lee for the game plan of the week. We'd like to break down one side of the ball in one of these matchups. Deontay is an actual defensive coordinator in his day-to-day life, which gives him some real insight here. You were putting some clips online this week, man. You guys are just flying around wrecking shit. Yeah, man. I, I don't know if people can tell, but I've got my mid-season defensive coordinator beard working right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what all that work kind of goes towards or how it's reflected. Yeah, man, we're having a pretty decent year, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to what the rest of it's going to look like. All right, so you are now Todd Bowles. You are no longer Deontay right. Lee in this exercise. I want you to start building me a game plan for how the Bucks defense is going to take care of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense on Sunday. I think it all starts with tight coverage. That was the approach in the Super Bowl that they played against each, when they played against each other a couple of years ago, um, and that was what allowed pressure to get home. Obviously, the kind of sieve that I think the Kansas City offensive line was in 2020 is not what it is now. I would certainly say not, but I would think that that's kind of made up for in the fact that there's not a Tyreek Hill now that you have to worry about devoting four eyes to. So I think that you can still stick to some of the things that Todd Bowles really likes to do, which is playing tight coverage on passing downs. And then on those mixed down situations, it's all about trying to give the illusion of bringing pressure, right? Using Levante David, using David, using Devin White as potential blitzers and dropping edges out in a coverage the way that we talk about simulated pressures and creepers. I think that that's going to be the generic framework that they're probably approaching Sunday with. I know that the Chiefs' offense is, offensive line is better than it was in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Nate, at one point, do we get concerned about the way Orlando Brown is playing? <laughs> well, that's the misconception with him. He got those all pro teams and Pro Bowls uh, uh, with Baltimore, and then he goes to Kansas City. Everyone's like, "Oh, well, they got an elite left tackle." And it's like, "No, they didn't. Like, no. this is not this is not the guy that uh, he's fine. He's an above average starter, I would say." But I think there's a big disconnect between what he actually is and what his actual like ability is. So that's where it's kind of concerning in a game like this, where you know the other defense got some juice that right. can run around him. Right. He's he basically his his method and it works for him. And this is sometimes how big Byron. Uh, uh, Bryant McKinney made a whole career doing this. Just let guys run around. Just let, <laughs> let guys run around, see how it goes. When okay, you're 6'8", 360, that's an yeah, exercise that you can yeah. employ. Yeah. Don't, even have to move, don't even have to move your feet. Just go around me. Yep, that's good. And, and Mahomes makes it works because he goes up and out of the pocket and it works. But that is an issue when you're going against a team, a defensive front that will run games that will get you into awkward angles where you do have to move your feet and have better eyes. So, yeah, it's the interior of the offensive Chiefs offensive line is good when Trey Smith is healthy. Right. But the tackles are still, eh. You know, like it's not it's not this big upgrade from when Fisher was there. It's more about the same. Like that's kind of how you have to look at it. Even if they play so stylistically different, that left tackle is totally different. And we can't not even talk about without Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle. But that's, you know, there's a little bit of difference than what I think people, the conception of what this offensive line looks like. I think the stunts in the games is a really good point to make. I think that 
you know, in your mind's eye, thinking about that Super Bowl, I think it's easy to think that it was just straight four man rushes killing them. It was more late pressure, late developing pressure from Jason Pierre Paul, from your Shaq Barrett's, you know, getting guys who were looping to your point of Mahomes being a up and out escaper from the pocket. Mm-hmm getting a guy in his face as he's climbing creates a lot of distress. So that's definitely something yeah. I'm looking at as well. Coverage-wise, beyond behind some of those simulated pressure looks, Deontay, is there one or two things that you feel like you can lean on that makes the game harder for Mahomes? We talk about this all the time. There's some quarterbacks you can't blitz. Mahomes right. is one of those guys. So the simulated pressures that the Bucks are comfortable bringing align nicely with how you want to attack this team. But what are you playing behind that? And are you picking anything up from some of the stuff that the Colts did last week to slow this team down in ways that are probably a little bit surprising? I would say, you know, from a simulator pressure standpoint, one of the things that I think that um, people might think of simulator pressures in terms of we're trying to get a free runner at the quarterback. And I think that there's a certain there's certainly a value in that. But if you're a three, four team, what you're really after, and this is something that we've talked about on the podcast together, something that Nate has talked about with you, Robert, is keeping the back end to protect. Right. So you have a true coverage advantage all the way across the board in terms of your zone defenders. And that's one of the things that I think Tampa Bay does really well, because you have to honor the athletic ability of their two backers in White and David. So that's something that I will be looking at when you're trying to play those zone looks. And for Tampa, their zone looks is not going to be quarters. It's usually single high. So you're talking like a soft cover three and you're talking about some of their rotational cover two stuff. And those are things that they do really effectively because you have to honor the fact that it could be cover one. It could be a five-man pressure. You know, we don't know who the fourth rusher is going to be because they give you these bare front and odd front style of looks, and they'll walk guys up to the line of scrimmage as well. So that, to me, is what I will be looking at from a perspective. And then the second half of your question, Robert, when you're talking about playing tight coverages, matching and routes, um, there are two things that I saw in the Packers game that I'm really interested to see happen. Uh, when these two teams match up with one another. So the Packers went one by three, as, as Nate has mentioned multiple times on this podcast, right? Meaning it's a trips formation, but the tight end is a wide receiver that's split out, right? When the Bucks saw that from the Packers, what they did was take Levante David out the box to play one-on-one with the tight end. And when you can do that, um, you know, and this is something else that we talk about in coverage all the no time. No one can do that, by the way. This is like a one-of-one thing. Yep. <laughs> that's exactly it. Exactly. So and when you have that kind of versatility, when you talk about flooding the coverage to the trip side, sending multiple bodies and sets of eyes to the trip side, when you can do that, that kind of piqued my interest in, Okay, well, if you try to put Kelsey at X and David can handle this guy, well, shoot, you can do a lot with Logan Ryan now taking away crossers, those dagger concepts that that we know that Mahomes likes working in the middle of the field, anything perfectly, you can now match up or get double teams on those vertical routes and not worry about undressing that intermediate area of the field because you've got a robber player. And that's something to me that really piqued my interest. And then the other side of it is just the fact that they play two man. They'll play more aggressive quarters. They'll play a little bit of bracket stuff. They will do whatever they need to in terms of getting multiple sets of eyes on guys that are working those intermediate areas. And then that's really when you got to deal with the defensive ends breathing on your neck, right? Bringing in the pocket. You know, you start to feel that a whole lot more when it's pat the ball. Okay, my first look, they're playing tight coverage. We don't like this against man. I'm moving on. Holy crap, my number two has a double team on it. 
Well, now yeah. where am I going? Right now it's like, okay, intermediate area, late in the down. And now you're losing vision. I can't see the backside safety now because I'm just trying to find my receiver and the leverage that he's being defended on. I've got to squeeze this in right now because I'm running out of platform to throw off of. And that's where you get that pick that Logan Ryan had last week against Aaron Rodgers. So I think we're going to see a good amount of the same thing. Nate, we have an offense that struggled last week against the Colts and is now playing the best defense in football for the first yep. three weeks of the, of mm-hmm. the year. How do you get back? How do you get back to feeling comfortable and really being the team that you want to be on that side of the ball? Yeah, the, that last week from from the Chiefs against the Colts, and I, I can't believe I'm comparing Andy Reid to Marilyn Monroe here, but I'm going to. And that's the quote that every girl likes to say is that if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. I don't know what you're and talking that, about, man. <laughs> identical, identical figures between Andy Reid and Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> Same person. That, that's, I mean, it's split an image of each other. But why I'm saying that is Andy Reid resorted to his worst tendencies last week in the sense of how they ran the ball. Um, and how they're using their personnel. They're spreading out, running RPOs, which is fine. I like that when they sprinkle it in, but this is the frustration. All the times they hit the wall last year is when they leaned into this. And Gus Bradley, of all people, and I, I swear that Andy Reid was seeing red, and he saw Gus Bradley on the other side. He's like, oh my God, we're throwing for 500 yards. And no, they, they didn't throw for 500 yards, and they didn't run the ball efficiently, and they had to make a couple big plays from Mahomes out of structure, um, which is fine. But that's a team that you know what coverage is coming more or less every time. Now you're playing against a team that likes to change the picture on you. Or if you, like you said, Deontay, running all that two-man stuff. And looking back, I I found my Super Bowl notes from a couple of years ago when they met (laughs) met in the Super Bowl. I can't believe I found it. Google Docs is great. And (laughs) I, I, I thought, I was like, okay. Wow, I don't think the Bucs will run a lot of two-man. They've shown some two-man in this playoffs, but you don't want Levante David. It took them to the Super Bowl. And it, the way think that, that they Levante played it during da- the playoffs, La- Levante David would be able to hold up against Travis Kelsey, and he did. He kicked yes. his ass in that game. So that I know that's two years or a couple of years ago. I get it, but it's still like they're both two years older. <laughs> like it's not like one got younger. One's a Benjamin Button, you know, situation going on. So I think with that, like that's like that is a good matchup because they're going to make Mahomes be a hero, or they're going to make Andy Reid be patient. And Andy Reid has to like, just has to. They are so much more efficient running from under center. They, uh, it's, it's not even a question. They're the, I think they are the fourth worst team, fourth worst team from shotgun by success rate. And they're about league average when they run from under center, which is what we knew this summer and spring. That's what they should be leaning into. Counter is their best run play. We knew this. This is what they should be leaning into. Their second best play is the Y insert play we talked about where the tight end folds inside. They ran it once last week against the Colts. It, it's just, Go back to what you think this plan was going to be. Don't get, you know, go with your gut feeling, your big gut feeling, Andy Reid. Uh, but I also think that uh, that example that Deontay is bringing up with the simulated and keeping the back in protection, CEH, as limited as he's been as a runner, has been devastating as a pass catcher so far this year. He's fourth in the NFL, all positions, running backs, receivers, and tight ends, and first downs per route. Fourth in the entire league. He's That's almost triple the usual rate of other running backs. Well, if we can't get him out, and he has to pass protect, that's a weapon that you're pulling away from them. Right. Or if you do the two-man hug rush where, you know, uh, there there he is, there's White coming up, acting like I'm blitzing, but I'm not blitzing, and then the running back has to hang, or he triggers, that's you're just creating pressures where they're not really pressuring. So it's, I don't know, the Bucks have a lot of answers to what the Chiefs want to do, how they want to attack, but I would say is that the Chiefs have to go back to the basics, really. It's, I think they have to be a play action heavy team. I also want to see how I, I, every time I talk about the Bulls defense, I always say the advantage is to get into a base kind of offense, 12, 21 or 13 personnel, make them match with base defense. Cause he likes to do that. 
Well, if you go 12, Kelsey gets treated as a receiver. So that gets taken away from you. Yep. So they, I think you're going to see a lot of 13 personnel where you see three tight ends to try and get them to match and then attack vertically from those looks because then you could treat Kelsey as a normal receiver. That's what they did against Arizona in week one. And they yep. did it to great effect in that first it game is. of the season. So That's how you, you have a team there. That- front defenses. Yep. So I know. It's, awesome. it's interesting. I know. It's just honestly, it's just Andy Reid, just. Stick with the basics. Just do, yeah. and it'll be fine. I know. I know you want to be creative and cute, but it's like don't don't listen to the siren song. <laughs> this is going to be a great one. We'll be watching this on Sunday night. Deontay, really appreciate the time, my friend. Always good to chat with you. You'll be back on Monday yes, for the Monday Hangover. For those of you guys who don't know, <laughs> it's good. Every schlock. Monday in this exact space. Deontay joins me. We talk about some of the games that we could not hit on the Sunday recap show. If you are not checking out that show either on YouTube or on the podcast feed, you really should because you get a hell of a lot of Deontay and we're all better off for that. Thanks a lot, bud. Uh, you got a game tomorrow? Do have a game tomorrow. Beautiful thing is that we're seeing the wing tee. That's why there's a little bit more, a little more length <laughs> in my beard than, than there would be. I haven't had much time to think about anything else but stopping to run. Good luck with the polars. Exactly. I'm sure <laughs> you guys right, will do guys. just fine. We'll talk to you later, bud. We're going to try out something we're calling This One's For Us. Oh, no. So, (laughs) Martin Scorsese. I I, I don't know if this is an urban legend or if it's actually a quote attributed to him. But he was talking about how you succeed as a director in Hollywood, how you build a healthy Hollywood career. And he said, you do one for me and one one for them and one for me. You one commercial film, and that allows you to make whatever you want. He made The Color of Money in, so he could make The Last oh. Temptation of Christ. Oh, and boy. that's how he would – and The Color of Money is one of my favorite movies like of all time, by the way. The fact that that was like his commercial film designed to right. fuel his art is hilarious because I love that, yeah. that the, the entire movie. So we talk about a lot of games, the big games. We talk about Bill's Ravens. We talk about Jags Eagles, which is actually kind of a big game now. So we can get to Browns Falcons. This one's for us. All right. Yeah. I, and you may, wow, God, why are you talking about that? When I was doing the fourth screen today, I was like, yeah, Browns Falcons is going to be on one of the TVs. And someone was like, what? I thought I was going to have to make a case for that. Here's my case for Browns Falcons before we get into the nitty gritty. Okay. There are three teams in the NFL right now, three offenses that are ranked in the top 10 throwing the ball and on the ground, passing and rushing DVOAs in the top 10. One is the Philadelphia Eagles, mm-hmm. like one of the consensus best teams in the league. They're favored by almost a touchdown against a Jaguars team that we like. The other two teams, top 10 in rushing and passing DVOA, are the Cleveland Browns and the Atlanta Falcons. You should be tuning into this game. You should. If you like offensive football, you should be watching this. this. And it's not because of some amazing quarterback. Like, it's not Lamar Josh Allen. This is like this is sound. Uh, it's well coached, well schemed offenses going at it in two different ways, or some similarities, but two kind of different ways how they go about it. And I know you have some stats that you're really rip roar with them because it's it's so it's gonna be for an X and O's geek. This is one of the most fun offensive matchups to watch. We'll get to the Browns. Their their running game is the best running game in the NFL in terms of design construction. It's so intentional yep. in, in the way that they construct it. And, and I think that's worth digging into. But I want to start with the Falcons offense. Some of these numbers are absolutely wild. Okay. It's the best. We talk about, you mentioned the Ravens stat a little bit earlier on the show. Yeah. They're in 11 personnel on 10% of their plays. It's it's not even real. It, it's just, yeah, it's no, no. so far away that They're it almost doesn't thing. count. 
the Deontay's are- playing that team tomorrow. Yes. That's what- yes. <laughs> the Falcons rank 31st in 11 personnel usage at 19.3% of their snaps. In any other season, that would be such an incredible outlier because the team that ranks 30th is the Dolphins at 46.7%. 19 compared to 46.7 is 31 to 30. That's what this Falcons team is. They're in 12, 21 all the time. And from that, they have the most insane play-action passing game that we've really seen in the modern era of football through three weeks. All right, Marcus Mariota is using play action on 47.4% of his dropbacks this season. I was looking at PFF data all the way back to 2012 when they started tracking play action percentage. Mm -hmm. Only two quarterbacks have ever finished above 40% for an entire season. Last year, Tua, which doesn't count. It was all RPOs. RPOs. It's a different sort of thing. It's not the same as what we're talking about here. The only other quarterback that really did finish above 40% was Robert Griffin in 2012 with that Kyle Shanahan team where he had lit the entire league on fire. And that was like just over 40. Mariota's at 47.4, okay? (laughs) It's insane. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's absolutely insane, all right? Right now, he's averaging 10.4 air yards per target, which is third in the NFL, okay? Marcus Mariota. One of the reasons for that is that the Falcons lead the league in dropbacks with seven or eight guys in pass protection, so heavy max protection. It's the most in the NFL. On those plays, he's averaging 15.4 air yards per attempt. He's 12 uh, of 16 for 251 yards on those plays. That's 15 yards per attempt. So the Falcons offense is just heavy personnel play action with max protection, and they're just chucking the shit out of the ball. It is awesome. So and they're doing it with Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Yes. It is awesome to watch. It's so much fun. Every and it's not the same play action over and over and over. No, it's every variation you can think of. It is. They pull a guard. They fake zone. They have a full house backfield. And the, the personnel groupings. Uh, I cracked this joke in the pre-show. Was that it, it's a lot like how Boise State used to be when Kellen Moore was the quarterback, where they run all these personnel groupings. So like they run twelve, but it's all these. The 12 is different. The two tight ends is different. The two receivers are different. They run 22 with a fullback in there. It's different. It's different. Who, who, the configurations of all this, they'll go 22 with Kyle Pitts. Yes, technically he's a tight end, but no, he's really a receiver. So really we're in 21. And then sometimes he's in the backfield. And so, yeah, sometimes we're in a full house backfield with him running a wheel route on a play action. It is, it's awesome. And it's so, these two teams are so well coached. Like, it's not just some gimmick where it's like, oh man, this can't hold up. No, these guys are, sh- the Seattle tape was so much fun. They're like shifting and motioning, and you could see the tight ends communicating and like their sound. The Seattle brought a look and they just pass it all off in protection. And Mariota is just hitting these chunk plays one after another. They're hitting, and it's not just, you know, I know people are getting mad that Pitts isn't getting a lot of targets, but the fact that they're hitting other guys for these big chunks is ridiculous. And the first eight completions all went for a first down against Seattle. Every throw was past the sticks. That's insane. Um, it's awesome. And it's fun. And then when you watch when they start running the ball, so they kind of set, it's like they set, they use play action pass to set up the run as opposed to the, to the flip side of it. That's, that's what this Falcons team's doing. It's awesome. It's, it's one of the most fun teams I've seen. Conclusion here with Atlanta. It's extremely fun, and I think the bigger picture takeaway, when they draft a quarterback, which they are going to at some point, or whether it, however the quarterback plan plays yes. out, they are building 
a fascinating infrastructure for whatever that plan ultimately ends up being. Arthur Smith showed during his time in Tennessee that he was one of the best, most innovative offensive football coaches in the NFL. And with this Falcons team, that's Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and a hodgepodge of other guys that don't really make sense a year into a three-year rebuild, they're already doing enough fun shit to be an efficient offense. It's the most QB-proof offense in the league right now. And that's usually – we bestow that to a Shanahan offense. No, this offense is. It's chunk – and it's and it's not nickel and diming teams. It's chunk plays. It's, it's, it's really exciting stuff and explosive. And the explosive offenses are always fun. It's intentional. It, the details yeah. of it are so thoughtful and well-constructed. This is why we're doing this. It all makes sense. It all fits together. And when you watch the Browns offense, that's the same feeling that I get. What they're doing in the run game, every shift has a purpose behind it. Every motion has a purpose behind it. Every formation has a purpose behind it. We talked with Mitch earlier in the week about creating angles in the run game. How do you do that? And the Browns do it in more ways than I think any other offense in the NFL does right now. And when you combine that with one of the best, most expensive offensive lines in the entire NFL and... I think still the best runner, pure runner in the league in Nick I Chubb. So too. I, I, I thought it for a long time. Jonathan Taylor had that amazing season last year. If I was picking one guy, I got 17 games. This is my running back. I still think it's Nick Chubb. So when you yep. have those factors all falling in line, you get an offense that currently leads the NFL in EPA per rush, and it's not surprising at all. Yeah, and well, and that's what's awesome is Nick Chubb's amazing. And then when they, okay, we're going to spell him with Kareem Hunt. Who's like not like just some spell back? That guy could lead. The, he could be a lead back for a lot of teams. So they have fresh legs just constantly coming at you. That's well blocked. It's well schemed. You say the most expensive offensive line, probably the most expensive offensive line coach as yes. well, Bill Callahan. So and it's for a good reason. Like this stuff is so sound. They run pin poles so much where you have two guys pulling to the outside. And we talked about when uh, last Thursday show we're talking. We were complimenting David Njoku. Because he's become a dynamic blocker as well as being a very athletic receiver. And how they use him is so cool. I like how you frame they, that athletic receiver. It's, 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 it's a good way to do say, that. That's that good. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> he can high point some balls. Uh, you know, he can, he can do that. That's how I'm going to, that's how I'm going to put it as. But that's what is so cool because rather, pin pulls hard because of the angles usually you have to go at. You can't have a, a get the pin by the tight end because you have an outside, outside linebacker or a DN lined up outside of the tight end. So what they do, the Browns do, and you might have talked about this with Mitch, is they have them split about three yards, an open stance, and then they have them feign the DN and then go crack a linebacker. And so now you're it's almost like a trap pin pull in a way, like an outside outside trap in a way. And it works, and they do it beautifully. And then when you got Nick Chubb at two thirty-five, who can get north quicker than anybody, then it's you got a hole. He hits that crease. He's at he's at seven yards before he's getting contacted. Yeah. And now he's one on one with a safety who's like, uh, I've seen pictures of this guy in high school when he was running track, and he looks like a monster. Like I'm not, I don't want to tackle this guy one on one. And they do it over and over. But they do every type of run play. We compliment the Lions for doing this. This is even just as good as a version, if not better. That it's so cool how they're able to do all this stuff and. It, well-intentioned way with Brissett hitting play-action passes now much better than Baker ever did when he was there. And I love when you can just kind of plug in play pieces and you don't notice it because the scheme puts them in such good spots. 
Right. Ethan Pochich was not supposed to be the starting center for this team coming into the season. It was supposed to be Nick Harris after they yeah. let J.C. Treader go. They're have, they have the most efficient running game in the league with a backup center. And watching him play is so weird. He's 6'6". He's yeah. so much taller than most centers are. And you watch him play and he's got all this length, but he doesn't play with a ton of leverage, which Randy Mueller pointed out on Football GM last week. I thought it was a great point. And they're just asking him to use that length. He's not having to move guys off the line of scrimmage. And mm-hmm. just, again, it's intentionality. And just thinking about every detail about how we put these guys yep. in really good spots and make things easier on them. And both of these offenses have done that. And I think that's why, even if it might not scream marquee matchup, there's a right. lot of stuff here that's worth paying attention to. It is. It's a game that you watch and you're like, oh, this is a lot more fun than you would think. I think there's going to be a lot. I think it's going to be a boat race a little bit. I think there's going to be a lot of points. And, and, and I love the point that you're bringing up how just get in the way a little bit. He's like, he's like Robin Lopez. Just, I'm going to scream my butt off on every play. Like, this is what I do. Yeah, I know, right? The same length, but that's exactly how they're using them. But, and then you got some awesome guards on either side of them doing some great stuff too. Petonio is banked up. See if he plays in this game. Obviously, I mean, he's a huge weapon for them in the run game. Like yeah. Him as a puller, all the different things he it's can amazing. do. He's one of the best players in the league at, at yep. his position and just overall, I think, relative to his peers at his position. Yep. So definitely something to take into account. All right. Those are some offense we've enjoyed watching so far this season. <laughs> Let's get to some offenses that we want to take a, do a little checkup, a little tune up. Let's go under the hood. I'm going to check under the hood. All right. Last week, we started doing this with the Ravens offense. Just a unit that, what's going on here? Like, yeah. What's wrong with this? We talk about the Ravens running game. I want to start this week with the Broncos offense. 22nd in offensive DVOA through the first three weeks. Just a very odd collection of parts. You know, Some of the numbers that I think we're going to throw out here almost seem fake because it just yeah. doesn't seem like a way an offense is supposed to operate when things are clicking. When you watch the Broncos offense right now, what do you think is the biggest issue that they're having? They listen to the siren song of Let Russ Cook a little bit, a little bit too much. They, they're leaning into stuff that Russ is not good at, which is just shocking to me because there's been so much evidence and sample size of this stuff does not work with him. They are running the st- – I'm – Stick is not like a terrible play, and I, I know I make fun of it a lot. It's double outs and everything. The, double outs on the same side. Same side, yep. The Packers use it all the time because they have Aaron Rodgers who gets rid of the ball quicker than anybody and throws it, like just, and he can see it and anticipate it. But they're doing it with Russ. Russ is terrible at quick game. He is. It's just proven. It is a fact. He's not good at quick game. So they're leaning into that, which is not, which, not conducive to what I think this offense has to be. Russ has only scrambled five times this entire season. In 2020, he was scrambling over three times a game, almost three and a half times a game. Like So the fact he's only scrambled five total times, he would do that in two games, <laughs> like back in the day, I mean, if, if not more. So it's the highest percentage of passes Russ has had, or Russ has the highest percentage of passes at or behind the line of scrimmage. 30% of his targets have gone to running backs, which is most in the NFL. It, I would say... Uh, the, <laughs> So I was the play, Mrs. Lincoln. I would say that the the compliment I have for this offense is the run game is actually fairly well designed. I, I actually like it. They do some wineback stuff. They use a lot of jet motion stuff. It's fine. The run game is fine. But this passing game is just, it's not great. They're going into, they have the worst EPA per drop back out of the shotgun on first and second down. The only, or second worst. The only ones that are ahead is the Bears and Justin Fields, which we know how that passing game looks right now. Yeah, we They are, do. yes. They are just kind of leaning into stuff that we he's not good at. It's his best plays have been the vertical shots, which is yes, he's good at vertical shots, but also his best plays are like deep comebacks off play action. Play action gives you a lot of space 
between the quarterback and the offensive line. They're taught to set up at nine and a half yards. Some even say 10, but nine and a half is what they say. I always love that coaches also would teach quarterbacks nine and a half yards. I'm like, we freaking know how far we are. It's all feel like, you know, <laughs> but you get, you get space between you and the offensive line. It's the deepest drop back you can do. That's why Russ is so good at it because now he can see. Now he can see the routes at 15 yards coming across. He had a beautiful over route, late over route last week against the 49ers. The week before against the Texans had a beautiful comeback route to Sutton, you know, again, uh, uh, against Derek Stingley. That was great. But then you see them running stick uh, to Albert O. And he's throwing it at his shoes on a clean pocket. And you can see Russ, uh, they're, like I took a screenshot of it. You can see Russ looking around the guard going like, where'd that go? That's why you don't do that. He literally can't see it. I know I, I don't want to crack a joke like, oh, yeah, he's so short. Da, da, da. But that's the limitations of it is, yes, you can do it once in a while, but you can't lean in it. That can't be the main bread of your offense. It has to be the shots and a run game. You just can't listen to, hey, yeah, no, I want to spread it out. We talked about his empty game and then, oh, we're going to do all this empty stuff. Every time they've got no huddle or empty, there's been a miscommunication between the receivers. There's been, hey, where do I go? Like, where, where, what are you calling right here? The fact that they're at that, they're the, they lead the league in false starts. They lead the league in uh, holding penalties. They lead the league lead the league in delay of games. So keep it simple, stupid. Like that's kind of what I'm saying with this offense is keep it simple. Run the ball, hit them over the top. That is what this offense has to be. And it's funny that they listen to they're following the wrong signs that maybe that Russ is saying to him in meetings or something of that sort. We ju- we talked about it last year when the Russell Wilson offense, which is its own thing. If there is a Russell Wilson offense. It's threes and layups. If you take away the threes, we got problems. What is it? And those threes have not been there. They, the amount of times that they're checking the ball down, that they're not even checking the ball down, design throws to running backs within the structure yes. of the offense is a little bit disheartening. Looking at some of these numbers, it's not surprising at this point, but it's stark when you think about just how specific this is to him. 62 of his 106 attempts this year have been outside the numbers. Doing some quick and dirty math, I'm pretty sure that's the fifth highest, okay? that He has the fifth most attempts outside the numbers, despite being 15th in the NFL on pass attempts. Doing some back-of-the-napkin math, because this number is not out there, I'm pretty sure the only quarterback with a higher percentage of his throws outside the numbers this season is Mitchell Trubisky. And we know what that Steelers passing game looks like right now. It's not a real NFL passing game. So you have this offense that it's just the Russell Wilson offense. And when the other parts of who he is, scrambling ability, off-schedule playmaking, when all that stuff starts to deteriorate and disintegrate, what are you left with? And I brought this up to Deontay on Monday, and I'm curious what you think. We're in a world now where all of these great quarterbacks are so incredibly creative as throwers. Okay, Mahomes, some of the shit Mahomes did last week, even just like casually in a bad game is wild. The arm angle stuff that Lamar can do. All of the things that Josh Allen can do. Russ is not a creative thrower. Mm -mm. That's not what he does well. He is not a creative thrower outside of like when when he's a creative thrower, it's because he's moving. It's because he's bringing someone up and he's popping the ball over or he's making a play outside of structure and finding somebody late. It's not bending around guys and making creative throws in a phone booth in traffic the way that some of these other guys can do. And now that the game is played in a more condensed space because of the way the defenses are playing, 
I think you have to have that creativity as a thrower to be an elite player at the position. And that's just not how he plays because he can't operate in that condensed space because he's too small to do it. And that's just not how he is as a thrower. He's not twitchy in the same way that these other guys are. He has incredible arm strength, but he's not creative. His arm talent is not the same as some of these other guys. And I think that distinction is really important when you're thinking about how he compares to other guys that are getting paid the same amount of money that he's getting paid. It's not the like like Mahomes or Josh Allen where they're throwing or Stafford where they're throwing Stafford, stuff yep. underhand. You know Lamar changing and throwing sidearm. All of Russ's highlights are yes the Fran Tarkenton running around for fifteen seconds and then launching something, yes. launching it as far as he can, and it's like holy crap he went from a sack to a seventy yard touchdown. Oh my god that was amazing. It's not you don't see a lot of like ten yard little. Dig routes where he's peppering it in between, throwing behind his body. Don't. That's because he. That you're right. He he has more pocket passer to him than people have ever thought, and that's what. But that is also where he struggles with. It's it's this weird. He's a weird player. I mean, he but is. I need you to be able to create as a pocket passer. I, I have need to be able to conjure it's, something as a pocket passer uh, that's not just shots down the field. Yeah, I mean, what you did the threes and layups, and it, it is. Think of like the seven seconds or less sons. Like that's what Russ has been throughout his career. It's like he just he's he's creating a tempo, tempo. We're like just in the middle of the play, I'm saying. This is now like a half court offense that only is trying to get layups. And that you it's hard to win that way. It is it, everything's tight on this offense, and he doesn't play as a quarterback that throws that way. He throws the guys on the move, he throws the guys deep. He doesn't throw into tight spaces over the middle of the field, which is what I don't know if. Have you heard this for the last year and a half? That's what defenses are doing to quarterbacks now in the NFL. It's literally, it's the anti-Russ defense, but everyone's running it. It's not just one or two teams now. So that is where you see a lot of struggling and you don't have an offensive staff that's kind of going like, well, let's do it like this way. Uh, They tried, this is, it was one, one play. He had a sprint out. They tried to do a sprint out on third down to Judy and he misses the throw wide open throw. Sprint out should be on the move. Should be a layup for him. No, no pun intended. After we've just said layup twenty times, misses that throw. You got to hit the gimmies. Like he's not, he's not even hitting the gimmies right now, and that's scary with a team that's paying him that much money and saying, "Hey, you have to be our guy." All right, let's get to the Rams here. An offense that isn't struggling <laughs> quite as much, but they're 18th in offensive DVOA. They have been underwhelming offensively, and it's kind of a strange experience watching them right now because watching that Cardinals game. I get excited about the ideas and some of the ways they're trying to solve these problems, but it ultimately leaves me concerned about the long-term viability about what this collection of players might look like over the course of an entire season. I was scared about the lack of juice in this team, and I think it was well-founded. This team went out and got Allen Robinson. I like Allen Robinson, but I mean, last year with the Bears, he looked terrible. And it's kind of maintained throughout this year. He would be a fine complimentary piece, but for what this team needs, you don't want Cooper Cup is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but you don't want Cooper Cup running the post routes. You know, you don't want him running the deep stuff. You want him over the intermediate parts of the field in the short areas of the field. And now they have Allen Robinson, who you don't want him running the post routes. You want him in the short areas of the field and the intermediate parts of the field. Okay, now who else we got? Skarsgård. Don't want him running the post routes. You want him running the short routes and intermediate part. You want him at fullback, actually. You want him going from fullback running sail routes and over routes, which is cool and it's creative, but that shows the limitations of what they want to do if they want to line up traditionally. That's exactly right. And they're yeah. doing cool, creative shit, but it's because they have to do it. 
The, yes. the, some of the biggest chunks that they had in that Cardinals game, you mentioned it. Skarsgård's lined up as a fullback, and he runs the deep corner route on a sale concept. That's awesome. It's a great way to create Fun. a chunk play. It's gimmicky nonsense. Like it's, yes. it's smart, but it's a what's a game play. That's and that's what they've, they've had to run so many once a game type plays to get chunks. They had another near touchdown to Cup running that deep corner route from I think the backfield. In, in the high red split backs. It was split yep. back. And so and the split back is a great thing to bring up. They are they ran tons of split back in this game yep. against the Cardinals with Cup and a running back in the backfield. They got a hundred things off of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. They run Cup on the bubble with a mm-hmm. fake handoff. There's a compliment to that where Tutu Atwell runs a screen off of that bubble look. Then one time Cup runs a corner out off of it. It's all well constructed. It's all very yes. smart offensive design. But it's offensive design that you have to tap into when you can't just line up and sling it around the same way that you could last year. And I think that the juice is one of those concerns. The offensive line is the other. Mm -hmm. They just Mm -hmm. do not have the guys up front to sit there and say, we're going to play an empty and we're just going to throw it 45 times a game. We dare you. They just don't have those guys. Early in the first half, they lined up an empty. And Zach Allen just toasts Coleman Shelton one-on-one instant pressure and that's what's happening you got a backup center in there you got no andrew whitworth over on the other side havenstein doesn't look right he had a couple snaps in this game and i was like what is going on he got hurt later in the game but this was before he got hurt where he gets beat inside and it's just they just don't look very good up front so i think there are all these different factors playing into it where now they have to play offense in a slightly gimmicky way they have to lean on the easy buttons and they have to lean on some of these just simple chunks in ways they didn't have to last year. They had it on all Madden last season in terms of how hard the game was for some of the throws and some of the things that they were doing. Yes. But they could do it. Now it's like we need some screens to Tyler Higby. We need all this nonsense stuff with Scrana coming out of the backfield. In that game against the Cardinals, Stafford was 9 of 10 for 147 yards off play action. Okay, They ran play action on 40.7% of his dropbacks. Last season, mm. it was 24.7. They ran play action yep. a quarter of the time, which for a McVay offense is not very high. Because they didn't have having, to. <laughs> they have to now. Yes. They have to. And while I think this is the correct plan, yes. it does paint them into a corner, and I think it speaks to what their ceiling ultimately can be with the guys who are currently on the roster. Yeah. I When we were prepping on Tuesday, I, I even said, it's like it feels a lot like the 2020 Rams, but not in the sense of what they're doing, but how it feels. Yes. It just feels like a whole lot of singles. They're just getting on base. They're trying to win small ball. They're trying to win three to two. They're not trying to rip off these digs and overs and, oh, my God, 20, 25-yard chunks from empty. Oh, my God. Look, oh, my God. How are they doing this? It's it's a lot of four-yard gains, eight-yard gains, six-yard gains, which is fine when you're playing the Cardinals and you're playing the Falcons defense. Notice how we talked about the Falcons offense, not the Falcons defense. Is that That is fine when you're playing those types of teams, but now the schedule gets tougher when you play the freaking 49ers defense. That is very good. So what are you going to do now when it has a team that's going to outspeed you at every position? You know, It has more juice at every single spot on the field. That's where it's hard. Like You want to compliment Sean McVay for what they're designing in this offense is designing is so creative. It is fun. Like we joke about Skarsgård. The Skarsgård stuff is fun. Like it really is. What they are doing is it's working. Like statistically and eye test, it's working. It's hard to do that for 20 plus plays a game. That's yes. more of a 10. And for 17 more, games. 
Yes. And especially now teams have a feel for it and they go, oh, we'll just do this against you. More tape gets put out on you, the more stuff gets squeezed and the more that you have to get to your second, third, fourth thing that you want to do out of it. We'll see if they can do it, but I, it's it's a hard bet to make. So, But it's complimented for what they're doing, but it's hard to do it for 17 games. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Okay, it's time for Win My Fourth Screen. For those of you who are unfamiliar, each week on this show, I put up the fourth box on my Sunday ticket for an argument or a case to be made from one of our listeners for what game should be on there. Our winner today is William Metcalf, who's a listener from Ireland. So let's just admit all the facts. The Jets should be on the fourth screen again. Frankly, they should be on the fourth screen every single week. You should simply rename it the Jets screen, and it should serve as a constant reminder that when other games you happen to be watching, a worse football game exists. <laughs> Life as a Jets fan, or at least one who has yet to become totally jaded and devoid of a sense of joy, is a constant buildup of hope only to be disappointed. The Jets are that feeling when the ball is taken away just as Charlie Brown is about to kick it. A constant <laughs> attempt to cling on to false hope, avoiding reality that really we're just not that good. So yeah, this week the prodigal son returns to save our season. The boy wonder, the term I can't say. The guy who threw that one beautiful ball on his pro day. We have weapons around him, promising first and second year players abound in the skill positions. The stage is set for his glorious second coming, where he will torch the Steelers and Garrett Wilson will further announce himself as the premier rookie receiver. Reed and Sauce should shut down any threat that Mitchell Trubisky can throw at us, and this should put the league on notice that the Jets might just avoid a top five pick next season. Such are the lofty expectations I put on this team. (laughs) But you know what's really going to happen? There will be a Zach. There will be a Zach Wilson sack fumble return for a touchdown in the first five minutes, followed by a pick six. And then the game will be out of sight by halftime. The Jets will lose by ten or more, and I'm pretty sure we'll still have one healthy offensive tackle for the gods to strike down. If I had to watch this shit show every single week, then so should you. And then at least I'll know I'm not alone in my misery. Will from Ireland with love. J E T S Jets Jets Jets. That is- this is a magical segment. It took segment. three weeks. It took three weeks, and the guy they drafted second overall is stepping back into the lineup today. Yeah. I then- he, is, he is so right because there are moments where I'm sitting there and I'm doing woe is me bullshit with my, with my sports fandom, and it's like, you know what? There have been some decent moments. You know, At least I had the 2018 season. Yeah. It, well, it was a mirage, but at least I had that moment. If I was a Jets fan, it's been so long since you've had that. And every single offseason comes with, look at all the first-round picks. Look at all of the money. And this is where we are. Things might be fine. But the fact yeah. that people like Will are this down, this bad, this early. Yeesh. Right. Uh, Sus Gardner does look good. Garrett Wilson does look good. We'll leave it at that. There that, are little <laughs> kernels of hope. But yeah, those kernels but- of hope are not enough. <laughs> No, I love that. I, I know that's the thing. Is like it should be so exciting that Zach Wilson's coming to play, and it's like they, it's just a feeling of dread that these guys have <laughs> with it. It's the it's the storm incoming of what what they're expecting. Like maybe if you just keep the expectations low, you'll be pleasantly surprised. But we'll see. All right, before we get out of here, it's time for picks of the week, and the pick is finally in. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. First of all. Couple guys that we shout out before, want to keep shouting them out. Bubba Stubetz and Shane Vitash are both 13 and 2 through three weeks. I don't even know how that's possible. We have eight people at 12 and 3, so congratulations to you guys. There you go. 
I was two and three last week. Uh, I, we should probably put in what we picked last week because I always forget. But I was two and three last week. I'm eight and seven on the season. I hate this slate of games. I uh-huh. absolutely hate it. It's all like three and a half and one and a half and two and a half. And it's like, I, I, there's, it's awful. Tightening. Okay. All right. So first of all here, I have the Dolphins plus three and a half at the Bengals today. It just, just get it over with. I, Rip the bandaid all, off. I, it's like, it's, I don't know. It feels like a field goal game. I'll take the three and a half. Like I think these yeah. games are, these teams are close enough. I have the lions minus four and a half against the Seahawks. I think the Love lions it. are pretty good. Like, I just think the Lions offense is one of the I – mean, they are a top 10 team by DVOA. They're playing against a defense that I think is dead last in EPA per dropback allowed. We saw what the Falcons did to them last week. So I think the Lions are really going to be able to move the ball in this game at home. I have the Jags plus 6.5 at the Eagles. Love I think it. the Jags are good, man. I, I think Thank this you. is a real test for Philly. So that's one of the bigger lines on the entire board this week. I'm going to take the points. I'm doing this to myself again. I have the Colts minus two and a half against the Texans. Oh, I mean, it's man. Titans. Glutton. Glutton for punishment. Unbelievable. You are. <laughs> I think the Titans are actively bad. And it just, it, it's a down year. That they're banged up. Their offensive line is full of guys that are borderline starters in the league. Mm. They're just rolling the, the, especially spinning the wheel for who's going to play corner for them, which when you yeah. consider how much they've spent on that position is kind of wild. So I don't know. The Colts are at home, right? They're two and a half point favorites are on their road. No, no, Probably it's an Indy. Yeah, all right, so the two and a half point favorites mm-hmm. at home. I'm taking that. I don't feel good about yeah. it, but I'm taking it. And then That's amazing. the Cardinals are getting points against I the Panthers. I, I can't believe this. This is yeah. the one I'm cracking up. I, I, I have to do this. <laughs> I, I cannot, a good conscience, take the Panthers. The, the, the Panthers should not be favored over anyone. So I'm taking the one and a half points with the Cardinals mm-hmm. right now. Again, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about I can any understand of these. that, though. I can understand that argument for mm-hmm. it. We have some overlap. I'm also glutton for punishment. I did the Colts minus two and a half at home against the Titans. Both you guys, the man. Unbelievable. I Unbelievable. I you guys can't get right? We need a clinging to our some- prior segment on the Colts eventually if this keeps going like this. <laughs> <laughs> After we've like berated them for two weeks, just bashed them, just gone, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing this. Yep, there I am, betting on Gus Bradley. Once what sort again. of budget do we have on this show? Like, if we were to hire someone who would just stand next to me and every single time I talk myself into the Colts again, they would just spray me with a spray bottle like a cat. Is <laughs> no, that something that we no. could fit into the budget of the show? I think we could probably make that happen. Okay. Hopefully, right, that's one, of our, uh, one of our uh, purse string holders is hopefully watching this right now and okay. just making right, note just, of it. Just, just as an idea. <laughs> Put it on the budget for next year. I also did the Jaguars plus six and a half at the Eagles. I. I do think the Eagles are overall a better team, but I six and a half is a lot. That is that's a lot of lot of points. I thought it'd be more like a f- four and a half kind of line. So I'm going to take the points there. I think it's going to be a really fun game. I'm doing the Falcons plus two and a half hosting the Browns. I I I'm, I'm loving this. I, I think this team's give, uh, this game's going to be a barn burner. So I'm taking the points. I I really do. I think I'm be really excited. Seven. I swear to God, <laughs> that's how it always works, right? I I remember last year the Cowboys were playing the Chiefs and we were all geeked up for it, and it, I think it was thirteen seven at the end. Like, yeah, uh, we like did a whole offensive breakdown for that game. Yeah, uh, I'm not bitter. So now then we got the Raiders minus two and a half hosting the Broncos. If you can't tell, little low on the Broncos offense. <laughs> so and I think this Raiders team. Uh, anytime the owner uh, meets with the head coach in the stadium before the press conference. I, I think there's going to be a little fire lit under this Raiders team. Three and also, games into the season. <laughs> three games in with another big deal. It's it's unbelievable. Um, yeah. So I think there's going to be a little fire under the, that Raiders team. I think Devontae Adams is probably going to get about 20 targets <laughs> in this game. I, mm-hmm. Anyone wants to DFS that? Um, also, Patrick Graham is defensive coordinator going against Russell Wilson. So you got a cover two guy going against Russell Wilson's kryptonite. Yeah. 
I don't know. I like this fit. I, I, I like the bet. And I think that's it. Yep. I have the, oh, Lions host the Seahawks minus four and a half. Um, I think the Seahawks team, I do like a lot of the pieces. They're just not a complete team. I think this Lions team is playing with confidence. I think we all know that. Uh, they are a feisty team. Going to be different seeing them as a favorite, but I do think this is a good matchup for them where they can just kind of pound away, pound away, pound away, hit some big plays, play some good defense. I think that's going to be a, a good game for them. Uh, 35, 30, like 36, 31. That's what I want from that game. 36, yeah. 31 Lions. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm into. It also feels like the sort of game to me, you guys, where the Lions can just sort of bully them around and sit on the ball and really dominate the game that way. So that is our one unanimous pick this week. I am also in on the Lions minus four and a half against the Seahawks. I've got three unique picks, three games we have yet to hear. Vikings minus two and a half against the Saints. Dalvin Cook, full participant in practice on Thursday. Even without him, Alexander Madison would be able to step right in. But uh, hey, we'd like to see Dalvin out there. I mean, I just don't know what the Saints do well and do consistently. I think the Vikings win that game. I'm very surprised that's only a two and a half. Uh, hey, I'm going to be quad boxing with the Jets and Steelers too, because I'm picking the Jets plus three and a half. Uh, this Love is it. Just, I'll take the hook outright. I like these are Two offenses that I'm not sure exactly know what they want to do when they go out there, but at least I know what to expect of the Jets' skill players. And I'm not so sure I can say that about the Steelers because of the Steelers' offensive line issue. So give me the field goal plus that hook, and I'll go ahead and I'll take the Jets the plus three and a half. Ravens and Bills, this just feels like a superhero quarterback game where they go back and forth, and it's Lamar, then Josh, then Lamar, then Josh. So one team getting more than a field goal, I'll take that team, especially with them playing at home. Give me the Ravens plus three and a half in that one. And then, guys, I'm going to go against you. You guys both it. are on the Jaguars plus six and a half. I think this is a step up in weight class that the Jaguars are not quite ready for. It would just be a little bit too easy of an ascent if they just went into ja- like into Philly. A horse race going to a horse race going to grade one. Right. We're yeah, going to knock one down. Stake exactly. race, yeah. We're going to knock them down a little bit. We thought the Eagles were going to be this team. Robert, you've said it so many times, talking to Bull Wolf. Even if Jalen Hurts didn't take a step forward, everything they had around him smelled like an 11-win team. Well, he's taking that step forward. The Eagles are that Super Bowl contender. I think they uh, give a little dose of reality to the Jaguars this week and cover the six and a half. I think you just wanted to bet the London game so you could just get up and have action. (laughs) 8.30 Central Time, man. It's great. (laughs) So here's my question about the London game. Obviously, Kirk struggles with... (laughs) Night Island games. games. Yeah. Is there some sort of like temporal shift that is going <laughs> to screw with him in this game? Even though it's 830 for us, uh-huh. it's an afternoon it's game. game in London. So <laughs> yeah, I think right. they're just there's there's stuff to consider <laughs> yeah. there. I was I'm, I'm trying to stall because I'm trying to look up what Kirk Cousins stats are at, in London games and if he's actually played one or not. Has he played? One? It's too hard. I got him again. Yeah. I don't know if he's Probably played neutral one. Site. So yeah. but it, is a, is, it is an island game on a literal island for him. Yeah. Island on an island. So maybe that's got something to do. I like that. Head. Yeah, that's right. I, that's something to consider. I I, again, I I couldn't get there to see if he had I actually. called him I called Kirk Cousins the anti-vampire the other day uh, a couple of weeks ago cuz I was so disappointed yeah. in betting on the Vikings and someone goes, "No, he is a vampire. He sucks at night." And I was like, "Yep, that <laughs> was the is. joke. That was uh, the joke." <laughs> uh so by the way, uh it's one thing that's very hilarious. I was trying to sort the London stats by uh, pass attempts. The only mm-hmm. quarterback since 2018 who has more than uh, since 2016 with more than 100 pass attempts combined at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and Wembley is Blake Bortles because of all the Jaguars games Jaguars. that are played. There, which is hilarious. Shot I was like, why is Blake Bortles the only person that came up here? It's because of that. Uh, here, are you are you ready? Yes. There are 21 quarterbacks who have attempted at least 20 passes at Tottenham or Wembley Stadium. Kirk Cousins is fifth in EPA per dropback among those quarterbacks. There we go. 0.39. Okay. 
He's averaged okay. 8.18 yards per attempt on 68% completions, two touchdowns, one interception. So Kirk has actually been pretty good in London. London Kirk. That kind of London Kirk. ruins my joke and I'm a little <laughs> upset about it. All right. Come subscribe to the YouTube channel. We do this show on YouTube Live every Thursday. We do the Monday Hangover with Deontay live every single Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. And the YouTube recaps are solely going to be on the YouTube channel on Monday and Thursday nights. So if you have not subscribed, please go do that. Also, please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. And please subscribe and rate and review the podcast itself. In the meantime, really appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate Deontay's time. We'll talk to you guys later. This was The Athletic Football Show.